Ring around the rosy, a pocket full of posies. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. <laughs> Welcome to the Parasite Podcast. I'm Sherry. And I'm Marie. And this is part two of the Mysteries of Life about Daryl Hedbird Jr., a young Ojibwa man who killed his father. So if you recall, Daryl Jr. has just headed to the roller skating rink, and Sierra Goodman has also headed to the same roller skating rink. Daryl was skating and falling and not having a very good time when Sierra came over, took his hands, and skated backward, teaching him how to skate. Love is funny like that. One minute you're crashed out at the roller skating rink with bruised knees and a wounded ego, and the next you're flying around the rink with the love of your life. And you think everything will be perfect forever. It's one of the mysteries of life. That's what happened to Daryl. As he and Sierra talked, they found a lot of common ground. They both loved what some refer to as the dark side. They were both into horror, vampires, and Satanism. They helped outline each other's eyes with liquid paper. They explored their sexuality, began cutting together, and sprinkled each other's dried blood on their food. That's a lot. They're 13 and 16? Yes. It's a lot, a lot, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if they were checking in with Angelina Jolie at that point. It seems like she was doing her, wearing her boyfriend's blood around her neck and all of this weird vampire stuff around the same time. Oh, okay. So maybe it was just a little bit of social, well, not social media, but uh, celebrity culture. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. They also considered themselves to be goth and felt it was highly romantic. Their parents failed to see their relationship as such. My eyebrows were going up with a liquid paper. (laughs) I know, that's really odd, right? Mm-hmm. And their parents decided enough was enough. It was time to separate these two. Parents don't like it when a new relationship is spelling trouble. Daryl's dad was adamant. The relationship needed to end. Daryl was only 13 years old and had no business running around with a 16-year-old girl. The Campbells, worried about how dating Daryl had ramped up her counterculture proclivities, decided the same. The young couple was furious. Sierra wrote Daryl a sprawling love letter in blood-red ink, saying, quote, I have a murderous rage within me. Soon, my love, we shall take over the world. Unquote. These two had convinced themselves that, at 13 and 16 years old, They had no further need for parents in their lives. Their parents were about to die. It seems really strange for Sierra since she had just fought so hard to get these specific parents back into her life. Agreed. So when had Sierra been reunited with the Campbells? In March of 2000. And when was she plotting with Daryl to murder them? They decided to kill them over Memorial Day weekend in 2001. They'd been planning for about two weeks. Wow. I mean, that is just such a short amount of time for it to go so badly. I agree. And I think you'll notice as we move further into this story 
that Daryl was the prime mover behind this murder. Mm-hmm. Anyway... Sierra was spirited away to an aunt's house to keep her out of trouble while her foster parents were away for the weekend. This complicated things a bit, but Daryl was ready and up for the task. Daryl could kill his dad over the weekend, and they could take the Campbells by surprise when they returned. And this is how Daryl came to be standing over his sleeping father with his baseball bat in hand on Thursday, May 25th, 2001. On Friday, May 26th, Daryl Jr. felt a shiver of both terror and self-satisfaction when his father told him of the dream he'd had the night before. He said he'd dreamt that his skin had turned gray, meaning he thought he'd had a premonition of his own death. Ooh. It's very powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Daryl responded nonchalantly. He didn't give his plan away. We don't know how his dad reacted when he found the dog with its head bashed in, or what he was thinking as he watched his 13-year-old son jump on his bike and head down the road to visit a friend later that day. But Daryl would later confess he'd actually headed down the road to procure a gun. Mm. He'd snuck into a neighbor's house and stolen a 12-gauge shotgun and some shells. He decided it would be too difficult to kill his dad the way he'd killed his dog. Isn't it interesting how many of these kids are stopped from murder because they decide their method is too difficult? Mm-hmm. But this didn't stop Daryl. No, he found another method. It's right. just interesting how many of them think it's going to be easier to kill a person than it is. Absolutely. In his confession, Daryl narrated how he crept into his sleeping father's room once again the evening of the 28th. He carefully monitored his father's slow breaths to ensure he was sleeping as Daryl Jr. carefully placed the gun near his father's head and pulled the trigger. The flash of the shot briefly lit his father's face, and it was done. His father was dead. Daryl was surprised to realize death has a smell other than gunpowder. He went to bed to get some rest. It's horrible. It's pretty graphic. Mm -hmm. Whether it was to destroy evidence, eradicate the smell of death, or show his dad some twisted form of respect we may never know, he decided to clean his father with bleach water on the morning of the 27th, murmuring to him as he went. He said some angry things to him, talked about his love for Sierra, and told him his plans for the future. Then he covered his father's body with a tarp, blew him a kiss, and jumped on his bike to pedal toward his wonderful future with Sierra. He knew he still needed to murder the Campbells before his future with Sierra would be locked down. That's so sad. And what a sad end to his dad's life. Daryl headed over to the Campbells' house. He needed to find Sierra. 
He knew Sierra wasn't home, but perhaps he could find some clues as to her whereabouts while he found a place to hide the shotgun in preparation for killing the Campbells. He ran into the Campbells' older son, David Gooch, who had come to check on the house and was surprised to see Daryl there. He told David he was looking for Sierra, and David wound up giving him a ride back to his dad's house. David said he was getting some really bad vibes as he steered his car down the winding road toward the Hedbird residence. A sullen Daryl Jr. asked him if he was going to tell him where Sierra was. No. Then he asked David if he would give him Sierra's phone number. No. As they pulled up to the darkened residence, Daryl Jr. sighed and said, Well, I guess you're wanting to come in and talk to my dad about this. David had what might have been a premonition. He isn't sure, but he declined, saying he needed to get going, which is good because Daryl Jr. had decided to try to lure him into the house so he could kill him, too, so he wouldn't get in trouble for being at the Campbell's house when he wasn't supposed to be. Mm. Sierra ran away from her aunt's home that night to meet up with Daryl. They spent the night together at the Campbell's house. Well, some reports say Sierra met up with him on Monday morning, but the items she had with her and the conversations they claimed to have had support them meeting up Sunday evening. They had several conversations about their plans, and Sierra convinced Daryl that the Campbells didn't need to die. It would be easier to just run away before the Campbells returned home that day and never look back. So maybe she did care about them a little bit. I think she cared about them a lot, and as you'll see as we go even further into this, she sounds kind of reluctant. Mm-hmm. to have their lives ended. Yeah, it sounds like she, based on her past behavior, loved them. Mm-hmm. I think she still does, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Sierra packed her cutting razor, a stuffed devil toy, and her favorite dress, a red and black gown complete with a flowing cape. The morning of the 28th found them walking to Daryl's house so he could show her his trophy and pack a few things for himself. Then they walked into the sunset together, heading in the direction of Cass Lake. But their future, predictably, was not meant to be. Jean and Carol had returned home and realized Sierra was gone, and because they loved this girl fiercely, they set out to find her, driving separately. Not sure where to begin, They headed down the highway and they spotted the couple walking down the road not far from the Hedbird property. The Campbells exited their respective cars and walked toward the teens demanding Sierra return home with them. Daryl Jr. gave Sierra a hug. Well, it appeared to be a hug, but he was slipping a knife into her hand and whispering specific instructions into her ear. He'd take out Jean and she needed to take out Carol. He stepped away from Sierra just as Jean came within reach of her, Carol following close behind. As Jean approached Sierra, Daryl stepped behind him and quickly thrust his knife into Jean's neck, slicing through the carotid artery. Oh, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. And Jean, knowing he had seconds to live, 
began relying on his days as a military medic, which he's very lucky he had. Mm -hmm. He reached through the pain and pinched that artery closed, saying, Daryl, you don't have to do this. He was intent on remaining alive and protecting Carol. Run, Carol, run, he screamed as Sierra stood frozen in place, either unwilling or unable to stab her foster mother. That's so sad. Beyond sad, don't you think? Mm-hmm. But Carol did exactly that. She ran. And Daryl was after her in a flash. He caught up to her, and with a grin on his face, he stabbed her twice, the second strike severing her spinal cord and instantly paralyzing her from the chest down. She fell to the pavement, shouting, I can't move! Jean rammed his body into Daryl's and fell on top of Carol to protect her from further injury. He was pretty sure they were both going to die tonight. But fate was on their side. A car was approaching from the opposite direction. Thinking quickly, Jean shouted for Daryl to get out of there or surely he'd be caught. I can't believe the presence of mind this man had. I think that being a medic in the military probably gave him some very specific strategic planning skills. Mm-hmm. And he's an amazing man, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Anyway, both Daryl and Sierra ran for Jean's truck and took off, Sierra at the wheel. The approaching car stopped, and the Campbells were rushed to the hospital. The young couple was found and arrested 75 miles east of town later that evening as they tried to thumb a ride out of town. Well, of course they got caught, but that was such quick thinking on Jean's part. Mm-hmm. I am always amazed at how cool-headed he was. Mm-hmm. And that literally saved their lives. It was touch-and-go for Jean for a while. He had to have at least three surgeries before he was out of the woods, and Carol would be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. That's devastating. How did Jean and Carol feel about Sierra after these attempted murders and her running away with Daryl? It surprised me she left with him, did it you? Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like she was really interested in killing her parents, and he looked like he'd killed them when the, at the time that she ran away with him. Well, they were definitely dying. Mm-hmm. And that she left took me by surprise. Yeah. But despite all of this, they still loved Sierra and wanted her to come back home with them. In her favor was that she had not taken steps to attack Jean or Carol despite holding a knife in her hand. I'm sure that Sierra running off with Daryl after the stabbings wasn't lost on them, but they wanted to try. They knew Sierra was troubled, but felt that if she could be kept away from Daryl, Sierra could be redeemed. The county attorney agreed with them, and their first meetup days after Carol was released from the hospital was held at the juvenile detention center where Sierra was being held. There were a lot of tears as Sierra begged her parents for forgiveness. That's so sad. I think this is such a tragic story. Mm-hmm. Because both kids had a hard go, and Sierra fought so hard to be with these people only to agree to have them be killed. Right. Right. It doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-mm. Anyway, what happened next? Well, both kids were certified as adults, and Daryl was charged with first-degree murder of his father, and then two second-degree murder charges for the attempted murders of Jean and Carol. 
he ended up pleading guilty to second-degree murder and two counts of first-degree assault. And Daryl's mother, who had very little to do with his life prior to the murders, began showing up for court hearings with a few of his other relatives, including his grandmother, who had cared for him until he was seven, and his Aunt Tina from his dad's side of the family. After he pled guilty, his family discussed the case a lot. According to the Star Tribune, his Aunt Tina couldn't bear the thought of Daryl spending the next 30 years in prison, so she devised a plan. She'd smuggle a gun into the courtroom. Oh, no. Yeah. But here's the real kicker. Her plan was to shoot Daryl at his sentencing hearing. <sighs> yeah. But she felt that this would solve a lot of problems. How? And, well, if he was dead, he wouldn't be spending 30 years in prison. Got it. The rest of the family seemed a bit excited about this plan, but it was thwarted when Aunt Tina was ordered into rehab the day before his sentencing. She'd been caught forging a prescription for OxyContin. Oh, that makes maybe a little more sense. She wasn't really thinking straight. No, she wasn't. Um, as distressing as it is to think about your nephew being put in prison for 30 years, I think most people's reaction would not be, oh, I'll just shoot him instead. I agree. So on November 6th, 2001, on November 6th, 2001, Daryl was sentenced to 27 to 40 years in prison. His earliest release date is in May of 2028. Instead of being shot by his Aunt Tina, Daryl was hugged by his mother for the first time he could remember in his life as he was let out of the courtroom. Oh. It is also said to have been the last. When a reporter visited him in prison years later, Daryl's mother had not been to visit him, so it was a fairly brief reunion for them. That's a tragedy, too. I do not understand why she would do that. It's one of the mysteries of life. I guess. Sierra ended up pleading guilty as charged to two counts of aiding first-degree assaults and two counts of aiding an offender. She attended her sentencing with both Jean and Carol, Carol now being permanently confined to a wheelchair as a result of the attacks. The Attorney General opined that where Daryl was a danger to society, Sierra appeared to be redeemable with treatment if she were to stay away from Daryl. The judge made a very wise decision here, sentencing her to a blended sentence, which is called different things in different states. In Minnesota, it is referred to as the Extended Jurisdiction Juvenile Law. So, a teen is sentenced in adult court, but that sentence is suspended as long as the defendant is conforming to the conditions set by the judge. Hmm. Sierra would start her sentence in the juvenile system, under whose jurisdiction she would remain until she turned 21 years old. Then at that time, the judge would have the ability to hold a new hearing and impose an adult sentence if she had broken any more laws. This type of sentence allows a judge to watch and see if claims that a serious offender who was a minor at the time of the offense was truly in a but-for situation as claimed by her defense attorneys. That seems kind of cool. Mm -hmm. It adds a layer of protection for the public, but gives her a chance for redemption mm -hmm. if she chooses to take it. Cool. Yeah. So she was sentenced to 22 years with 20 years suspended. She was placed in the Woodland Hills Residential Treatment Home in order to have no contact whatsoever with Daryl. She really struggled with that part. She had a hard time letting Daryl go because she truly did love him. 
Woodland Hills retained a couple of ministers to take Sierra out to a deserted picnic area, where they ceremoniously assisted her in burning a shirt Daryl had painted for her. It was covered in satanic symbols, flames, and skulls. It took her a while to let it fall on the fire, but she did it. She knew what was best for her. I think that's kind of amazing that they mixed both cultures. They used Christian ministers to create a ceremony that would help her release this relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they probably talked to her about what would work for her because it seems to have been just tailor-made for her. Mm-hmm. But approximately one year later, Sierra, Carol, and Jean Campbell, and the Campbell's oldest adopted son, David, sat together in what Sierra's therapist, Terry Casey, referred to as a healing circle. David was ready for this. Okay, they had two sons, but this was David, the one who had driven Daryl home the night before, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, David had prepared a letter to read to Sierra, filled with the deepest anger and frustration of his life. And he'd been told that this would be his chance to confront Sierra and hold her responsible for the terrible things she'd done. Sierra had also written a letter addressed to all three of the Campbells. She went first. Her letter was filled with remorse, love, and apologies. She spoke of how the Campbells had cared for her and opened up her world, and she took responsibility for the harms that had come to them because of her actions and her choices. She asked for forgiveness, and in the end, that's what she got. David never felt compelled to read his letter. He set it to the side and expressed his willingness to give these new relationships some time. After that, Sierra worked hard to make the price the Campbells had paid to give her a good life worthwhile. Finally, Sierra was back on her own side, and she worked hard to successfully complete her program as well as earning her high school diploma through the treatment center. From there, she was sent to a transitional group home to help her adjust back into living in the real world. Wow. Do you think you could have been that forgiving? I don't know. I think it would be very hard. Because remember, he was also adopted. Right. He was in a situation where he knew how hard it was to go through the system, to have new parents. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes having been through the same thing makes it harder to understand how someone else could have a different reaction. Right. I think these people are amazing. Yeah, it is. So on July 28, 2004, Sierra found herself in court again with Jean and Carol at her side. Oh, no. Yeah, it sounds scary that way, but this was for a happy reason. Oh, good. Sierra was being adopted, and they left the courtroom as a legal family. Sierra Campbell was now truly their daughter forever. Oh. Wait, I have a couple of questions. Do you know if the Attorney General was right? Did she end up doing okay long-term? Well, I don't want to put a lot about grown-up Sierra out there, but it appears that the Attorney General was correct. She grew up from young adulthood to complete adulthood with her new parents, earned her bachelor's degree, and eventually a master's degree. She may have married a couple of times and is currently married to a man who seems to be a good fit. She has been eclectic, carefully selecting from her past and present family, blending her Ojibwa and white cultures and family to make herself into a woman who makes her parents proud and herself happy and stable. 
Nice. Mm-hmm. And do you remember the story about baby Veronica? Mm-hmm. Sierra actually teamed up with her past nemesis, that attorney who kept her away from her family, mm-hmm. to advocate for the adoption of baby Veronica to be ruled valid. Wow. Yeah, so a bit of activism, too. Mm-hmm. Carol died in October of 2015, and Jean has since remarried. So what happened with everyone else? Well, Carol died in October of 2015, and Jean has since remarried. Sierra's sisters were never adopted, but their parents relinquished parental rights when they were 17 and 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. Unfortunately, they were separated and sent to two separate facilities for troubled teens. Oh, that's sad. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All three girls had a rough go of it. They did, and they had a chance, one chance, to actually be okay and it seems like that was stolen from them yeah i think that leaving them there just in my very remote opinion probably would have helped all of them do Mm -hmm. a little better but but again those tensions between what's right for the tribe and what's right for these children Mm -hmm. and it is very important to not erode very important laws i know i just think there could have been a better way for them but Mm -hmm. i certainly don't know the answer myself yeah it's hard so what happened with daryl and his family daryl senior was buried next to his long dead son ron on the leech lake reservation his grave is marked with a simple metal marker the feather of an eagle and a faded american flag as his family gathered to celebrate daryl senior's life firefighters were again trying to save the home in which he'd lived and been murdered. Wow. Yeah, someone had tried to burn it down once before, but this time, they succeeded and the home was burnt to the ground. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. An official at the scene disclosed the fire appeared to be the work of an arsonist. That's terrible. His family must have been devastated. Actually, this arson is one of those cultural tensions again. Daryl Sr.'s family had actually set the fire. What? They believed this home needed to be burned to the ground in order to set his spirit free. They wanted the scene of his murder destroyed, and they had to do it twice because those ever-helpful white firefighters kept showing up to put it out. Oh. I know a lot of cultures feel that when violence has occurred like that, they need to destroy the building mm-hmm. to move forward. And I know this was before people were culturally aware at all. Mm-hmm. But this is beyond me. Yeah, it's interesting because it's a while ago now, but it's not like it was 1930. They could have mm-hmm. gone to tribal leaders and said, hey, you know, this is the family's home, and if they want to burn it to the ground, we'll let them. Mm-hmm. But they didn't do that. They just kept trying to put the fire out. Yes. And I don't think back then they could say, well, culturally, this is how we do it. Mm -hmm. And the people in the community would say, oh, okay. Yeah, it was a little different, I think. Um, Hopefully it's different now. That's so crazy. It is. So Daryl Jr.'s mother, Ernestine, died in August of 2020. And she was living in Ontario, Canada at the time of her death. So as far as we know, he never saw her after that hug in the courtroom. No, um, I don't really understand that relationship, but it doesn't seem to have continued. That's sad. Mm-hmm. So what happened with Daryl? Daryl Hedbert Jr. spends his time working on his GED, 
applying pinprick tattoos to himself, and reading the Satanic Bible. He sports three teardrop tattoos beneath his left eye. And when he speaks publicly, he does not speak of his father, or the Campbells, or remorse. He speaks only of himself. He complains that he is not remembered as the cute young child he used to be, but as the murderer he became. He reminisces about his past life, and he waits for the day he will be released. And that's all we have for today. We would like to thank a few people, starting with Christina Rose, who penned an excellent article which succinctly describes the issues and problems that went along with the Campbell's attempt to adopt all three girls. We will leave it on our Patreon page for anyone interested in reading it. We'd also like to thank Larry Oakes and Jerry Hold of the Star Tribune, TwinCities.com, the Native American Press, the Debajimon, a publication of the Leech Lake Band of the Ojibwa Tribe, the Bemidji Pioneer, the St. Cloud Times, and the Native Sun News. We'd also like to thank Jade Brown for our music. And we'd like to thank you, our listeners. We really appreciate you and all of the comments that you send to us and all of the encouragement that you give to us. Yeah, thank you. This has been the Parasite Podcast. Good night, and remember, always sleep with one eye open. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. (laughs) 